Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 220 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, we talk about what it is like to grow up with an alcoholic parent. Growing up with an alcoholic father, Lily walks us through the trials and tribulations of her experience and how that affected her relationship with alcohol. At 27 years old, Lily created Philia. It's a non-alcoholic aperitif to help others feel included when not drinking. This is such a great episode, very intimate conversation of what it is like to grow up with a parent that has a substance use disorder. Let's get into it. Uh, Lily, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I am so stoked to talk to you. Like, first of all, Philia, amazing, beautiful, beautiful non-alcoholic beverage, like stunning. And then also like the fact that you are a 27-year-old woman, young entrepreneur is so inspiring and so motivating. I love that. Uh, I definitely want to talk about Philia and how that got started, but I wanted to kind of back it up and get a little context and know about you and your history and your relationship with alcohol and what that looks like. So could you give us a little, little behind the scenes of like what your relationship looks like with alcohol? Yes, I, I can. And thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I started Philia having grown up with um, a parent who was an alcoholic for mm. most of my life. My dad um, had definitely a, a difficult relationship with alcohol for as long as I can remember. And when I was 20, uh, my father actually passed away from mm. alcoholism. And um I think that really shaped, you know, how I view that viewed alcohol from a young age and how I drank alcohol once I was old enough to try it and to experiment with that. And, um, yeah, from the jump, I think I just was very cautious. I, I knew what, you know, could potentially be in store if I drank too much or developed, a, you know, some bad habits with drinking. So sure. definitely have always been cautious. Um, and now I don't really drink much at all. So I, I don't say that I'm sober. Um, I will have a glass of wine from time to time, but I definitely don't yeah. drink um, often at all. And uh, it just doesn't really serve me much anymore. And um, so that's kind of what got me to start Philia. Amazing. So backing up, like talking about like, you know, being a teenager, growing up in a household with a father who had, you know, alcohol use disorder. What did that look like? How did that feel? And how did that shape your decisions? Because, you know, kids always try and like get their hands on alcohol or what, you know, they shouldn't. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So how did that affect you? Um, I think I grew up with 
two single parents. My parents divorced when I was five. So okay. I think that, that also had a lot to do with just how scary it was being yeah. alone with a parent who had a drinking problem. Um, and I think that I always say that I feel like a lot of films that I've seen or shows depict alcoholics to look a certain way. And I think that it looks a bunch of different ways. And I think that um, it all, it comes in all different shapes and sizes. So yeah. that's something that I, you know, first and foremost, like to highlight and to emphasize. Uh, I had a really great relationship with my dad. We were like best friends. And because mm-hmm. I also was an only child growing up with a single parent, you just become really close with your parent. And yeah, I think that that made it pretty obvious that my dad had a drinking problem because I didn't really have a parent there to kind of buffer the situation. And so that meant just okay. kind of some harsh realities and, um, you know, some yeah. trips to the hospital and therapy and, um, talking to sponsors and trying and rehabs and trying mm-hmm. to understand from a young age what this meant. And a lot of that resulted in, you know, like a lack of understanding, really. I think that this was a disease at the time. I think it took me a really long time to get there and yeah. to realize that, uh, you know, like your parent can love you more than anything and still choose alcohol over you. And that's hard to digest. I think when you're really young and you just don't know enough about this disease, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I don't, I mean, I grew up in Manhattan, so kids were drinking at a young age and kids were drinking like liquor. It wasn't really like you had basement suburban parties um, with beer and it was mostly like going to restaurants underage. So I think that that's what a lot of my friends were doing. And once I got to older grades in high school, you know, that's kind of what we would do. And I still think I was cautious. I don't really, I never had any like bad episodes really in high school and even in college, yeah. like I've never been. I don't think I've ever taken it too far where I've had like a really scary situation. And I think that's because of my background and yeah, what I've already seen and experienced myself. Yeah. And I definitely find that it could can kind of go both ways, right? It can either go like really extreme ways, like following, like literally like in your parents' footsteps and mimicking, you know, what you've seen and what you've experienced growing up or kind of going against the grain and be like, okay, this isn't going to be me. This isn't going how I'm going to act. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting to see why and how people take those paths. So why do you think you took your path? I think I saw how um, detrimental it was to my life. I know it was to my yeah. dad. Obviously it, re- it resulted in my dad missing out on a lot of things that I think he would have liked to be there for in my life and his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, yeah, there's, there's really nothing worse. I wouldn't wish this disease on any, you know, worse enemy. Um, it's really hard to understand and it's really hard to still love someone and be there for them when it feels like they're also kind of destroying your life for lack of a better way to put that. Um, yeah, yeah, I just felt like my life was just up in flames. It felt like nothing, um, nothing was going right at that time. And it felt like purgatory. So I think that that's kind of why I, I am on this new path of not drinking really much at all. And, um, and it results in, you know, me starting philia, but also me having, I think these honest conversations around alcohol consumption with others. And, um, Mm -hmm. that's through philia, but also in my personal life, I talk to a lot of people all the time and it it really, uh, motivates me to continue to do what I do. Mm, Love that. So switching gears, how did you come up with philia? Like what was, 
of course your your dad and your relationship and, and the effects of that were an inspiration for sure but what made you follow through with this and like because it's a huge huge undertaking going into the beverage industry especially the non-alcoholic sector like kudos to you that's huge thank you like cool yeah I I honestly it's crazy to think that we're now over two years old because time has flown uh, and yeah. I can't say going into this I knew what I was doing at all um, <laughs> does anyone really now, like does anyone no, I don't really know. know what we're doing I don't know. now I, I know that's a, a lot myth. Way, yeah I know a lot more now um and yeah I, I started Philia during COVID I I'd kind of gotten to this point in my own career where I, I wanted to make a change and mm-hmm. I had gotten some really great experience in my last jobs uh, with some younger brands and felt comfortable doing my own thing. Yeah. Uh, I did not know what the beverage space had in store for me. It has been full of a lot of, um, you know, learning experiences and um, trials and tribulations, but it's all worth it. And mm-hmm. yeah, I started it during COVID. I, I thought, honestly saw that a lot of people were drinking kind of at an all-time high everyone was pretty oh yeah to separate day from night you know I mean in my own house I think that we all you know I'd be staying with my cousins and my aunt and uncle were like so what do we do now like this is kind of just yeah you know like literally what do we do yeah and I just felt like you know there has to be something better and I um was trying to make mocktails on my own. I don't really like the word mocktails, but um, was trying to make some non-alcoholic drinks on my own. And I really couldn't find anything. I was also like purchasing pretty much everything on the market, trying to just fill the fridge so we could all stop drinking so much. Yeah. And um, I just couldn't find anything that I liked enough to drink it every night. I was like, you know, I like Mm. this about this or I like that about that, but I can't really envision myself like fully being like, you know, the hero of this product and wanting to drink it every night and bring it everywhere. So yeah, given that, uh, came up with the idea and kind of just researched on my own. I, I did it on my own up and from probably like August to February and, um, had a friend jump on with me and help me to launch, which we launched at the end of April. But yeah, I, I met with a recipe developer. I found a co-packer and a lot of that was just through my own research. I didn't have any connections and I yeah. pretty much just kind of figured it out. So yeah. Just winged it. And that's kind of how you have to do it. Like yeah. not everyone has a mentor or someone to like show them the ropes. Like mm-hmm. Google is your best friend when you're starting a business. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. I'm like, uh, just to me yeah so tell me about the the name like what what does the name symbolize or what does it mean it's quite unique yeah philia translates to daughter in italian and i chose uh an italian translation just because aperitivo culture uh is predominantly italian and i um lived in Italy when I was in college for a little bit of time. And I was so inspired by how people really savored things. And I think that's when Mm. I was interested in Campari because it was never on its own meant to be, you know, guzzled. Like you don't pour a tall glass of Campari. It was always like, you know, this much. And then you added bubbly water or um, something else, but it was always meant to be savored. And, And just the way that they savored things was, was definitely refreshing coming from America. And that yeah. really made me think about the way that we drink in America, which was just in excess and is in excess. And so 
given that I wanted to start an aperitivo, um, non-alcoholic obviously. And yeah, so I came up with Philia and obviously daughter, you know, really is for my own background and my own story. And so it all kind of tied together. That is so cute. I love that. I think like for me, just like the visual of the name, I'm like, oh, it must have something to do with like figs or something. Just you know, people think that they're like, oh, there's fig in your heart. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just the way it's like written or something just kind of, it was like reminiscent. It kind of re- reminds me of, um, oh my gosh, what's that perfume? It's like, uh, oh my gosh. It's like at Nordstrom. It's like this really delicious fig um perfume I'm gonna like totally butcher the name but um yeah it's like so delicious and I've for some reason the branding and the font and the typography just looks very similar I wonder if it smells like figs who knows (laughs) yeah definitely um okay so it's an aperitif or aperitivo uh what like what exactly is that like, can you break down what that even means? Cause a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah. it's concentrated. Yeah, so not. <laughs> in at least when I was in Italy, when I, you know, we would kind of do this almost every night and before dinner, mm-hmm. we would have kind of an aperitivo. Um, and it's kind of just this period before dinner where you're readying the palate. There's usually just like small snacks involved a drink. Um, and it's kind of just a time to gather and you know, chat about your day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really liked that. I felt like that tied into kind of what I was going for. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely made with, um, tons of natural extracts and juices. So we're not working with anything that actually mimics the taste of alcohol. Right. And I think that, that also really ties into kind of the herbal medicinal flavors of Campari without being like as intense as Campari. Cause I think if anyone's tried Campari, it's, it's kind of a, it has a kick to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That is so cool. Like, I just love that you came up with this and did this and like, being, I, I mean, I, I hate to say this again, but being so young, you know, it's typically in this space. And I've had a lot of people who are in the beverage industry and starting their own businesses, you know, they're a bit older. They're like mid thirties, mid forties, fifties, even sixties. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what, like talking about small businesses and starting your own, what, um, like what were the risks or what were you afraid of? Like what were like in your mind, like what were you, what were like, what was like holding you back? Um, I think pretty consistently it's the fear of failing. I mean, I don't think anyone who's put, um, enough effort in to start their own company wants to ever fail or have the brand not exist anymore. That would be kind of the worst case scenario. Um, I actually bootstrapped my brand up until now. We just had our first investor. We, you know, get involved, but I basically put all of my money on the line uh, with Philia and that was a huge risk, but for me, it kind of felt and does still does feel worth it. And if it means that I can come up with an option for people who don't drink for whatever reason, and they feel like, you know, it's an option on the menu in a sea of alcoholic drinks and they're excited about it, then that's enough for me. And um, you know, that also meant that we grew, you know, 
at a smaller scale than some of our competitors. And I think that we sure. continue to do that. And we only have one flavor. We have two SKUs, but one flavor, um, which meant just being really, you know, frugal with some decisions that, you know, yeah. otherwise we just jumped on. And so I think it all is uh, definitely um, stressful and um, can just feel like a huge risk, but definitely mm-hmm. feels worth it. So yeah, yeah. I was mostly scared of is just failing. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, no risk, no reward, right? Exactly. You don't know till you get in the game. Exactly. What do you, what so far has been your biggest challenge? I think just kind of getting an understanding of what the beverage industry, like the standards are and just kind mm-hmm. of the, uh, especially as it relates to distribution and um, I think just growing this company. I also being so young and not having done anything like this before, I've never fundraised before. So getting into that while still running a company and there's only three of us, one of which is part-time is a lot of work and a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot to learn. And you kind of got to switch gears and just try to do things at the same time. And you want to do both really well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been, I think probably my, my biggest challenge and one that is still like, you know, constantly, uh, ever-changing and one that we're still working on to this day so yeah yeah wearing multiple hats it's real fun yeah Yeah, it's challenging but geez you learn so much and you really get like it's really interesting because you get to learn so many different sides and you get to learn just like the ins and outs and learning all it's it's such an interesting industry for real like yeah really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you kind of going back a little bit about your personal relationship with alcohol. Now you said you do tend to have like maybe a glass of wine here or there. Um, what, like what would qualify moments or situations where you would engage with alcohol? I say this all the time. I mean, if there were a great tasting, not non-alcoholic red wine. I would oh. need to drink wine, and so I think that I'm, I know it's more for the taste. But okay. I don't really, I don't ever feel like I need to get a buzz on anymore. And when I have a glass okay. of wine, it's not for that reason. So it's more so yeah. for the taste of it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't really feel like I need it anymore. It's not anything that I feel like I crave much. I definitely yeah. don't. Um, I love not spending the money on it, especially when I'm out with friends. It really is a nice change. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, if someone, and this is like a huge pain point, I think for so many women, yeah, a, a good non-alcoholic red, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. And it I doesn't. honestly don't know if it will. I know. It's so hard to mimic and recreate something because the alcohol is what makes the red wine like stand basically. Right. Right. Like it's really tough to to recreate that. And like vinegars don't work. Like right. acid, you know, some components don't work. Yeah. And then you're just left with like warm grape juice. Yeah. It's not great. And I've had a lot. Um yeah. And I totally give everyone credit for trying. And I think that it's just a hard, 
thing to master. So yeah, hoping that happen. But yeah, I mean, with time, and I always say, I've said this since I was like young, even like, I think the second I ever have my own kid, I just won't even need alcohol at all. Not that I feel like I actually need it now. Um, yeah. But I just know how much that affected my life that it it's not worth it to me at all. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Could you give any advice to anyone listening who is, you know, actually, can we do two pieces of advice, like to any young entrepreneurs out there or just entrepreneurs in general who are like starting, like thinking of getting maybe in the beverage industry or starting like a non-alcoholic something or something to help in the sobriety space? What Mm -hmm. piece of advice would you give them? I would say do your research, study um, every competitor and try every competitor and really know what taste you're looking for. Mm. And I think like reach out, you know, cold to reach out to anyone. I think that uh, that's when I've been able to kind of have the most important conversations and ones that surprise me is when I just kind of mm. feel bold enough to reach out to people. Um, yeah. yeah, that's those are my recommendations. That's cool. Yeah. The bold reach out. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out. I've gotten like some wild things happen through literally sliding in people's DMs on Instagram. Exactly. Do it. It's fantastic. Send Mm -hmm. the message. Exactly. (laughs) Do it. And then if you could give maybe a piece of advice to anyone who has experienced um, a, a parent who has been through alcohol use disorder, what or is going through that situation right now, what piece of, of advice could you give them? Um, I, It's so interesting because I feel like I have had a few friends that have dealt with the same similar situations to what I went through. Yeah. And it's hard because nothing's right or wrong. There's no right way to deal with it really. Yeah. Um, but I guess one thing that I did that I think was good for me that I would recommend is just to protect yourself. And then there, and that meant that, you know, there eventually became like came a time that I couldn't talk anymore. Didn't really have that relationship that we once had. Um, but I was able to kind of, uh, protect myself in doing that. I was able to prioritize my life. I was in college at the time, prioritize college and, you know, the things that I still wanted to achieve in my life without Mm -hmm. putting my life completely on hold. And I would recommend doing that because it is just a shit show. And Mm -hmm. um, I guess just still show up for that person when you can, if it feels right. Um, There were many times where I'd still go to therapy or talk to a sponsor or talk to my dad just to always remind that person that you love them and that you're there for them because right and they they need to hear it so yeah definitely i mean i mean boundaries are is definitely an operative word i think in this situation dealing with any kind of loved one whether it's like a parent spouse brother sister um boundaries are crucial because of course we want to be there we want to fix quote unquote fix them or change them um but that just it doesn't work it Mm -hmm. doesn't work no 
Doesn't. And so all you can do is love them to your capacity. And I think understanding like your capacity and your boundary in that, mm-hmm. which may look like, you know, limiting your time, maybe like, especially limiting face to face time, totally. um, checking in different ways, like text or, you know, whatever you need to do to like, I think remain sane for one, because yeah. Being in that situation makes you feel a little loony. Like, am oh, I yeah. am I in the wrong? Yeah. Like, what yeah, is happening? Everything about yourself that you feel like you once had. It's just like there's just no um order, it feels like in times when when things are going awry like that. And I know for me personally, with people that are intoxicated, it there can be some um times where they'll say things that are really hurtful. And, mm-hmm. um, and if that comes in a time where you're trying to help them, it just feels hopeless mm-hmm. and painful. And it's just, yeah, you gotta, you gotta figure out how to put um, those walls up and protect yourself and have, you know, create those boundaries and try to stick to them when you can. And it's hard because you love the person and you want to, you know, be there for them, enable them. And sometimes that's not always the right thing. Yeah, um, but sometimes it is right. It's like I almost wished yeah. towards the end of my dad's life, I just got to spend more time with him, and that might have meant that I had to be, a, you know, around him while he was drinking, which used to drive me crazy. I used to be like, I can't be around you while you're drinking. If that just meant sitting down on a couch and just he's drinking and I'm just sitting there, like maybe that would have been nice to say goodbye or to to see him. But um, yeah, ultimately, I I feel pretty good about the way that I handled it because I uh. I think that's what got me through it in the end. Yeah, definitely. It's just such a hard situation. Like you said, there's no right or wrong, good or bad. Like it's really on a case by case basis. And especially, you know, listening to you and what you can do. Like what is your, your level of sanity needs to be maintained. Right. It's very easy to get lost. I, my youngest brother, he, um, is a drug addict. And so it's just hit or miss every time. It's right. like, you never know what you're going to get, what kind of person, like, you know, is he going to pass out at the dinner table tonight? Or are we going to have like a good family dinner and, right. a good, and a good family dinner is not passing out at the dinner table. Right. Oh, it's like, sorry. Yeah. I mean, it happens. We all have, we all have our things. We all have our, our relationships, right? Yeah. It's hard. It's, um, it's so painful because you really can't change anyone like that either. It's like, yes, it's ultimately always up to them to fix that and to fix that and to, um, work on themselves in to get them to a place where they're not using that substance anymore and that is completely up to them it literally has yeah. nothing to do with you it is so far out of your control and that is the hardest part because you just want to chase them help them yeah fix situation fix exactly and that's like the word right fix because i think it's more painful for us being like watching this and watching mm-hmm. their behaviors and wa- watching 
and interacting with how destructive it can be. But to them, like, they might not see it that way. And that's yeah. like, that's the, the, where it's like misaligned, right? Like they don't see the need to change or they don't see the need or value maybe is, is the operative word, yeah. the value in changing or the value and um, helping themselves. They just don't see it. It's hard. Cause I think yeah. that I've, I've seen so many different cases, mostly around alcohol. So I can't speak for any type of other drug use, but like, yeah. you know, there are some people that will be in denial that they're an alcoholic and mm-hmm. won't even show up to AA. And then there's someone like my dad, who's like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm showing up to AA. I literally cannot get myself to stop drinking. And that's the, that's the hardest thing to like visually mm. and audibly hear someone say, it's just like, then do it. If you want it so bad, then like, then stop, you know? And it's, and they're showing up, they're admitting it. It's fully like, everyone's aware, but there's a problem. And that's almost the sickest thing to see. It's almost like I am so powerless over alcohol and that I can't go a day without using it. And and it's so like, it's like, we just don't know enough. And I definitely, that was like, what now, like seven years ago. So let's chalk it up even 10 years ago and 15 years ago when he was really going through it, like no one knew what was going on. Like, I didn't know how to yeah make sense of that like it just was so it was so um bizarre to me I I just did not understand it and now I I do um and it's still um painful and it's frustrating and I'm still you know in so many ways angry and it's yeah um yeah it's hard to even if you know as much as you know to to still rationalize all that it's hard yeah it actually makes it harder yeah. Knowing, knowing what, you know, yeah, right. Yeah. It makes yeah. it harder. Cause it's like, yeah, well, this seems very linear. Like this seems very logical. Easy. Yeah. Like, don't, don't actually put, well, then don't do it. Last <laughs> mouth, just like physically don't touch it. Right. And right. it's still not, that's not it. That's it's just so not that it's like, no, it's, um, it's also someone who is very hurt and doesn't, um, probably feel great about themselves and mm-hmm. yeah it's such a gray area right it's not mm-hmm. black and white it's not like stopping and starting it is a gray area because you know our relationship with alcohol or people who who go through that who it's not just like oh it's like a fun once in a while kind of thing like no big yeah. deal which i guess people would consider a healthy relationship with alcohol who knows who knows yeah Right. But, but it's like, it's an emotional connection to Mm -hmm. this, to this substance, right? It's, it's not just a drink. It's not just like something you ingest. It affords and, and fills so many voids and holes that can be so freaking deep. Um, and that just fills right up when, when that's present. Yeah. So it's really tough to just be like, oh yeah, just stop it. It's like, okay. It's like telling someone to calm down when they have like an anxiety attack. It's like, right. It's like when in the history of calm down has that ever have like worked? Right. Zero. Never. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's very, very tough. 
just gray areas. So many gray areas. Uh, Lily, where can we find uh, Philia on the World Wide Web? So you can go to our website, which is drinkphilia.com, and we have a find us tab. So once you okay. go into there, you can kind of just plug in your zip and you'll see what's closest to you. But we are in actually almost 500 locations across the U.S. So we're in a ton of stores. So probably something close to everyone. That is incredible. What yeah. a fantastic job. Like you should be so proud of yourself. Thank you. Well, I also have some really great team members that I could not do this without. So I'm not a one woman show and uh, teamwork makes a dream work girl. Yeah. I, I, I owe them a ton. They're, they're awesome. And we, we work really hard to, to get Philia to as many places we can. It's so fantastic. And are you on social media, like Instagram, uh, TikTok, yeah. all those things, where can we find you there? Yeah. We're on everything. We are Drink Philia on Instagram and we're also on TikTok at Drink Philia. We're trying to post nice. more, but definitely not viral in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> oh, TikTok is hard, man. TikTok is tough. It's a it tough is. one. Yeah, definitely. I won't well, give up, but, but it's don't hard. give up. Don't give up the talk, man. It's great. <laughs> Well, Lily, thank you so, so much for sharing your experience and your knowledge with us. It's been such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much again for having me. I love talking to you about this. There's no way around it. Having a friend, family member, loved one deal with substance use disorder is hard. I'd like to thank Lily again for sharing her story and her experiences that she went through with her father. It means a lot. And I know you out there, sharing is caring. If you resonated with this episode or if you have a friend, family member, or loved one who needs to hear this, sharing is caring. Please make sure to share this episode with them. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at A Sober Girls Guide and head over to asobergirlsguide.com. We have everything you need at every stage of your booze-free journey. From the Sober Girl Social Club to group coaching programs to workbooks that you can do on your own time, we got your back, girl. Head to asobergirlsguide.com now. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.